0: Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. A passage that we'll be looking at is Second Samuel verse. 7, chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Let's take a look at that opening verse. Now, when the king lived in his house, that's King David, the Lord said, had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Now, that is a very big statement. God gave rest to David and through David to all the land from all surrounding enemies. Rest, as you know, is a big deal in the Bible. Think of Sabbath rest. Rest involves more just a cessation of labor. It involves Sabbath. It involves uh, peace, shalom, to be at rest, is to be in a state of prosperity and well-being. We've been looking at the various covenants that God has made with his people. That's been our series through this Lent, starting with Noah, moving to Abraham, Moses, and this Sunday, the covenant made with David. And many Old Testament scholars think that this one verse, 2 Samuel chapter seven, verse one, is really the high point of the Old Testament. This is the culmination of all the covenants to date. Let me explain. Think about the covenant made to Abraham. You will be a people. You will have a land. The covenant made to Moses. Uh, I will be their God. They will be my people. Well, that, those promises are fulfilled in this one verse, at least partially fulfilled. God's people are now just that. When, they made a prom- when God made a promise to Abraham, not so much a people, just one. Now they're a large nation. They have a land, the land of Jerusalem and all the surrounding territory. A matter of fact, the chapters preceding this one, David moves, King David moves the, uh, moves the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. So now they have a place. Now God is their God, God's king is on the throne. And here, for just a brief moment, The promises of God are realized. God's people are just that, a people. God's people have a place. God's king is on the throne. Now, of course, it doesn't last. And in this period of rest, God, David, makes a promise. He makes a promise to God, and God responds with his own promise. And that's what we'll be looking at this Sunday. We're going to look at really two covenants. Covenants. The word covenant is not used in our passage, but that is in fact what it is. And throughout the rest of the Bible, this passage is in fact referred to as a covenant, God's covenant with David. Uh, And so we're going to see two things, the promise God made, David made to God, and in response, the promise God made to David. And there's two words I want us to think about as we move through this uh, Sunday. And those are the words of, Responsibility and indispensability. Responsibility and indispensability. We are one, we're not the other. So let's go ahead and jump in. We'll look at the promise first that David made to God. So I'm in verse 2 of chapter 7. David said, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So, David sees an imbalance. And the imbalance is simply this I have a pretty nice house. God's house is not quite so nice. So, there's an imbalance. And David senses a responsibility to put right or to balance what is out of imbalance. He has, in other words, a responsibility. Christians have a responsibility to be responsible. One of the first questions asked in the Bible is uh, from Cain in regards to his brother Abel. Cain asks, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. To some degree, Cain, you are. To some degree, each of us, we are our brother's keeper. To be responsible is a great thing. Children are responsible, or parents are responsible for their children. Children are responsible for their parents. I'm not telling you anything you don't know but responsibility is a good thing. Think of the uh, the parable of the talents. God gave so many talents to this person, that person and the other person. They have a responsibility to use those talents for God's good and the people's for God's glory and the people's good. Responsibility. And David sees an imbalance and he has a sense of responsibility to put to balance what is out of imbalance. My house is nice, God's house is not. None of us should should go looking for trouble, but when we find trouble, when we find injustice, we we should ask ourselves, do I have a responsibility here? Do I have any agency to set to right what is not right, to set to justice what is lacking justice? I make my kids pick up trash on the way to school. Why? Because we have a responsibility. First point, David has a sense of responsibility, and that is a good thing. May God give us all a sense of proper responsibility. So let's see how God responds to David's promise. Surprisingly, he says no. No debate, no, huh. That's a good idea, David. Let's think about that. God's response to David's promise to build a house is just not going to happen, David. And I want to see the two reasons why God says Nope, sorry, no house for me from you, David. And the first reason begins, uh, let's see here. I'm operating without my glasses, so maybe if David Shaw you could hold my paper for me, that'd be great. I'm kidding. uh, The first reason God says don't build me a house, and you can follow along with the sermon notes in the back of your service leaflet, he says, uh, and after, uh, in verse 6, God says, I don't need a house. Right? First reason God says, don't build me a house is I don't need it. Isaiah chapter 66, God says, uh, earth is my footstool. Heaven is my throne. In the book of Isaiah, we read that the hem of God's temple fills uh, fills the sanctuary. Are you really going to build a house for me, David? Good luck. Uh, God does not need a house. All the heavens and all the earth are his. God's people don't, God doesn't need a house. However, a house is helpful for God's people. Uh, and as you know, we've been very intentional and deliberate and diligent in our pursuit of a church home not for God God doesn't need a home but for you and me God's people need a home even need is too strong a word a church home is helpful for God's people to facilitate our worship of God and for our love of one another and our service to our community and i'm pleased to announce that uh, the parish vote was very successful overwhelmingly a majority approved a mortgage that will allow us to be encumbered with debt which will allow us to purchase this property uh, you won't hear much until june the dates the days in front of june 10th and that will be our closing uh, on this property so good job churches is all very exciting first reason god says no house for me david is i don't need it And now here's where our passage gets good, because not only does God not need a house, God does not need David. And here I am in verses 7, 9, excuse me, uh, 8 and following. Listen to what Eugene Peterson writes about David's promise. I'm going to build you a house, God. Eugene Peterson writes this, we can perhaps detect just a little bit of pride in David's promise to build God a house. David was just about to cross over a line from being full of God to being just a little bit full of himself. Riding high on the crest of fame, having decisively defeated the opposition, having united God's people, having captured the allegiance of all Israel, he was heading towards success, and he'd begun to think that he could give God, do God a favor. Right? God, thank you. You've been so good. Let me lend you a hand. I'm gonna build you a house. You know, we should not think of our gifts, of our offering of, and our service to Christ as a tip. Right? You know, sometimes you get good service from a waiter and you think, ah, you know what? You've done an exceptional job here. Let's make a 20%. God is not our waiter. We should not think of our offerings as, God, you know what? You've been really good to me. Uh, your service has been excellent. Uh, meals are nice. My house, thank you for your exceptional service. A little bit of a tip for your, no. Psalm 50 says, I own every cow on the hill. And if I, further, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you about it. And our offerings, you know, we take up an offering every Sunday. And at some churches, you may hear these words. All the earth, everything I have belongs to you. Excuse me, let me quote it exactly. All things come from you, right? And of your own have we given you. That's a great statement. All things I have come from you, and of your own I give back to you. So listen to what God says to David. David, thanks for your, thanks for your generosity. Thanks for your help. But let me just set the record straight. Look at verse 9. I, God, took you, David, from following sheep. I I have been with you wherever you went. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. I am going to make your name great. Verse 10, I will appoint a place for my people. Verse 11, I will give you rest. David, don't believe your own publicity. You know, there's this great skit by Bill Cosby, uh, uh, he uh, was referencing his own childhood. He said, my dad set the record straight pretty early about my childhood. My dad told me, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Don't matter to me, because I can make another one just like you. (laughs) David, don't be so impressed. Everything that you think you've done, I've done for you. You are not as indispensable as you think you are. So there's that second word. Responsible, yep, absolutely. Indispensable, nope, don't believe it. And that's a hard balance to strike, the balance between being responsible, but not believing in your own indispensable, indispensability. If you're under 25, more than likely, you need to be reminded that you are responsible. If you're over 40, you probably need to be reminded that you're not indispensable. I discovered a, a horribly tantalizing uh, phrase in our property search. As we went through this mortgage process, I discovered this phrase that some banks would require key man insurance in order to give a loan. You know what that is? That means that they wanna make sure that the head rector is not going to die or leave anytime soon, to, 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 pardon me, to, in order to uh, secure the mortgage. And I thought, yeah, that's right. We do need a little keep, because look at how, right? We all can believe our own press. I am so darn important. And it it's just not true. And here, whenever you, you start using, I'm the only one, don't buy it. Remember the story of Elijah? Elijah was stuck on a mountain, and he uh, had just went through the ringer, and God, he told God, God, I'm the only one who cares. And God says, no. <laughs> You just, you just, that's just not true. You're not the only one. So let me just balance these two a little bit. Someone who lacks responsibility will think, I just don't care. Someone who thinks they're indispensable will say, I'm the only one who cares. Someone who lacks responsibility will think, someone else can do this. Someone who thinks they're indispensable will say, I'm the only one who can do this. Someone who lacks responsibility will say, I'm no one. Someone who believes they're indispensable will think, there's no one but me. This little poem sort of balances, threads the needle, balances responsibility and indispensability. And this poem is, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. Those things I can do. By the grace of God, I will do. I am only one, but still I am one. So those two words, responsibility and indispensability, that from David's promise to God. Now let's look at God's promise back to David. Verse 11, David, you're not going to build me a house, but I instead, I will build you a house. And by a house, of course, God means He's going to build a family. He's going to build a lineage from David. When you' verse 12, when your days are filled, you will lie down. I will raise you up. I will raise up from you an offspring, And He will build a house for me. Your offspring, David, he gets to build a house for me. I will be to your offspring as a father. He will be your son in some ways, but he will also be my son, verse 13. He will subdue all the enemies around you. Now fast forward, the gospel writers are very clear about the connection between Jesus and David. From the very, very first opening pages of the gospel, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. We're approaching Palm Sunday. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, he was welcomed as the son of David. You heard in our gospel reading that Jesus is again the son of David, who is the person who will be David's son, yet God's son. Who is the person who will build a house for God, who will dwell with his people? Jesus Who is the person who will subdue all of the enemies, who will give us rest? Jesus, King David's, great King David's, even greater son. By his death and by his resurrection, Jesus has subdued all the enemies that torment you and me. Back to chapter 7, verse 1. The land was at rest, all the enemies were subdued. King Jesus has subdued all of our enemies. Sin is done. The devil is defeated. The grave has lost its sting. The year 2022 is the 2022nd year of the reign of Christ. And the year of Christ's reign is also the year of our rest. You and I are a people at rest because we have a king on the throne. There's only one person who is indispensable. There's only one person who can shoulder the burdens of the world. There's only one person upon whom everything hinges. This is not you and it's not me. And when David realizes that he is not indispensable, yet he has a responsibility. When David realizes that all that God will do through him and for him, that God will raise up a king, his response is praise. And that is what the rest of chapter 7 is, uh, constitutes the rest of chapter 7. It's a, it's a hymn of praise. In other words, David does not give God a home. God, David gives God his heart. And that is how you and I should respond. When you and I realize that we have a great king on the throne who has subdued every enemy and now offers us rest, our response is one of praise, which is what we do as we gather for worship, as we stand to affirm our faith in the words of the creed. Please rise.